everybody. This is Nick Fishman uh, on the SJV Data Solutions Hangout podcast. I'm joined here today by the SJV president and CEO, Scott Vanek. Scott, you like that? The president and CEO? Uh, Fancy. Yeah. Well, I do my best. I uh, Also with uh, Vince Bro, vice president of client experience, uh, Bob Capwell, chief knowledge officer at EBI, and Sean O'Donnell, vice president of operations at DISA. Uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Yeah, yeah we, we have two. We have two. We have two clients on to actually tell Vince how terrible their experience has been. <laughs> well, at least with him, right? The company personally, great. the yeah. company's been great, but these Sorry. guys have had enough of me for years. That's, I got so much. You know, right. Well, maybe may, yeah, maybe version three. We'll see. So today we're going to continue discussing the COVID nineteen uh, crisis, um, but this time we're going to talk a lot about it from a CRA perspective. And that's why we wanted to include uh, Bob and Sean. Um, the topics will include advice for maintaining compliance, new tools and technologies available uh, to complete orders, and the impact early prison release programs will have on employers. Um, we're doing this on the fly as we did the last one. So uh, we're doing it from our homes, no frills, just honest conversation and helpful insight. So uh, why don't we kick it off here? And um, I, Sean, I'll direct this one to you. We're seeing a lot of court closures, delayed searches, significant lag times on verifications. How are CRAs able to operate effectively through this? That's yeah, a great question. So, um, you know, I think once we all got through the initial um, situation of how, how are people going to be able to work and do our computer systems all align and, and what is the kind of the new world order for the next, you know, call it 30, 60, 90 days from day one, we really didn't know how long this was going to last. Uh, I would say once we established that, um, quite honestly, the, the next set of questions became really more tied to, uh, you know, are we, who is and is not going to be able to work? And clearly the DOT, uh, DOT drivers are still up and running. Um, us, like everyone else, saw probably an initial dip, but the, the uh, DOT aspect of our business is still running pretty well. I wouldn't say it's all recovered, but they play such a uh, integral part of the supply chain for, for the United States that if anything, it, we would see trucking pick up uh, pretty substantially. So uh, the good news for a lot of the trucking aspects, a lot of it is online uh, as far as the PSP searches, uh, a, lot, a lot of EMVRs. We've had a lot of questions about MVR specifically. Um, obviously the states go up and go down all the time, but we are seeing, uh, we're seeing that frequency increase PAs enacted some new uh, rules in, in order to run searches within their within their state. Um, and then I would say besides that, reaching out to clients, yeah, are we getting the, the, the uh, call answer and, and closures that we'd like to see? No, we're, we're seeing a healthy uh, dip in that. I think a lot of groups are, are overwhelmed by what they have going on. And so they're using that I don't want to say it's a crutch as to why they, they're not taking those calls, but they're, they, they've got other things that are priorities for them. And one thing we're doing is trying to denote any of those that we close out where we couldn't get a response tied to COVID. And our game plan is to follow up on those in 90 days or whatever that iteration is so that we can try to fulfill, truly fulfill that because we are seeing uh, the actual fulfillment of verifications uh, decreasing pre pretty rapidly. 
Yeah, and before I, I, I turn it over to Bob, that was one of my questions about DOT verifications. I'm also curious to know about um, what the experience has been like with drug testing. And Bob, I know you guys do a lot of that too. Uh, Sean, what are you seeing? Uh, yeah, from the from the drug testing standpoint, um, it kind of a, a similar story. We, you know, everyone called in day one and said, "What does this mean for my randoms? What does this mean for everyone?" Um, you know, the last time I checked, and and I should be a little more up to date on this, but the uh, the DOT was business as usual. I think there were some uh, some deferments on certain actions, um, but we we found that the majority of the drug testing tied specific to transportation was, was continuing down that pathway. And that's for FMCSA and for PHMSA. Great, thank you. Uh, Bob, how about you in terms of the court closures and delays? Um, I'm certainly not asking for uh, industry secrets or anything like that or company secrets, but what are you seeing and, 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 and do you have any advice for how to operate effectively through this? Well, you know, certainly we need to communicate with our clients first. I mean, they're they're why we're in business. So having open, honest communication with our clients, letting them know where the delays are. Um, we, we appreciate uh, the partnership we have with SJV and really letting us know where some of those delays are. Uh, so really having that communication, uh, communicating with our partners. You know, do you have, are you still up and running? You know, are, are there any challenges that you have. And if you do, please communicate them to us so we can look at uh, alternative resources, things like that. Um, I, I think we've all been um, really going under or really dealing with uh, something that we've never seen before and looking at our remote workforce. And we've been lucky. We have a, a continuity of operations plan we've had in, in play for several years, and we've been testing that over the years. So you know, to us, this was just a, another day in, in business. So uh, we did a great job. Uh, our team did a great job deploying everyone. Um, we did it securely. Uh, we did it professionally, no downtime. Um, so really communication is key, uh, being sure that we have redundant resources, letting our clients know where there are closures. Uh, maybe some court closures are, are an issue, you know, specific county courts maybe looking at alternative resources as doing statewide searches and things like that. Um, although we have um, plenty of delays, I think we're getting through those and we're communicating with our clients. And again, we're you know, having pending searches and looking for alternative ways, communicating with our clients, letting them know when we can't verify uh, certain points of data. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Scott and Vince, I know that you guys had an announcement uh, actually today about some uh, innovations and technologies you're now bringing to the market. Um, do you guys want to talk about that? Because I think it, 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 it speaks to what you're doing to help your CRA clients uh, with uh, managing delays and, and clearing searches. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things we've done uh, from a leadership standpoint, we knew first and foremost, getting this information into the hands of our clients was paramount. Where things are closing, uh, courts are being shut down. It didn't happen all at once. It happened in, in different successions. So for the closure specifically, we've deployed a, I guess, kind of like a live real-time interactive map on our Connect platform. And it's a map that you can hover on stage and see what percentage of the courts or primary sources are still open you can click on it. You can look at it at the county view and look at, you know, with respect to where your high volume uh, jurisdictions are, 
you know, is the flow of work interrupted because of a closure? Maybe the court's closed, but there's an online resource that can be accessed um, uh, that's either primary or an alternative source that you can pivot to. So that's one big thing we did. And then secondly, you, know, you heard Bob mention, you know, alternative methods, and I just mentioned alternative sources too. Um, there was a really uh, informal, or I should say, really uh, important, very formalized, impactful webinar that PBSA put on last week talking about embracing alternative research methods or alternative sources that are out there right now where the primary sources are closed. So we announced a list today, you know, here are these, these alternative research sources we can offer to you. Here are the limitations and here's what's going on with them. And we're just putting that all on our platform in one place. So where our clients go to see all their pending results, get their ETAs, et cetera. We put it all there for ease of access. And then we're updating all that stuff every day at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 5 p.m. So throughout the day, it's always updated and timestamped as well. So got a lot of really, really positive feedback from our customer base today uh, via email in response to that release. Yeah. And Scott, will you tell me a little bit about what went into the, uh, the development of the alternate resources and, and how you were able to mobilize so quickly? Yeah, we just you know managed the crisis, you know, the first few days and then uh, you just challenged my team uh, internally to start thinking about how to continue to generate revenue. Uh, and then, you know, we got with some customers like the two we've got on this podcast today that have always been partnership centric um, they've always done a great job leveraging the supply chain when they needed to and, you know, just reached out and uh, got some uh, ideas from them on what else we, we, could, we could do. Matter of fact, we just recently even sent out a, uh, I think it's either going out today or, or maybe even tomorrow, um, another uh, uh, questionnaire to our, our top customers looking for feedback on what else they're looking for. And I'm not, we're not talking about like tomorrow, we're talking about like the next 90 days so that we can start preparing for that next, uh, you know, resource change or new technology or, or, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So, um, Bob, from a CRA's perspective, um, you, you even mentioned alternate resources and now SPV also, um, is talking about them as well. Um, how comfortable are you with alternate resources and how do you determine, and I, and again, not looking for trade secrets, but how do you determine what you're going to use and what you're not going to use? And I guess the other question is, how open have your clients been to uh, discussing the use of these? So I can't really, you know, talk specifically about, you know, particular clients, but, you know, for alternative resources, especially for public records, we're looking for criminal records. You know, um, if we're looking at a database resource instead of a, a direct court search, you know, are we getting, you know, all felonies and misdemeanors uh, and misdemeanors at a certain level? Do we have enough data that we can report uh, on that information? Do we have, you know, the proper identifiers, uh, things like that? How often is the um, um, is the resource updated? That's another issue. Sure that the integrity of the data is there. Um, so and we've done a lot of you know testing on on alternative data methods um, in, in the past. So we, we kind of look at those, bring those into play. We certainly disclaim that to a client if we are using something different. Um, but you know it's a time to get get creative. But we need to be sure that we're providing you know accurate and secure data. Very important. And uh, just Bob, out of curiosity, can you ever recall a time throughout? I mean, you've been in the industry for a long time. 
Um, can you remember a time where um, alternate resources were a consideration and, and, and how you might have used them in the past? You gave his age away. He was trying to hide from that, or at least you made it sound like he was 75 I, years old. I didn't tell anybody he was 76 years old. Bob, uh, Bob, you invented background screening, yeah. didn't you? It's funny. Hey, yeah. hey, Bob, during the outbreak of the Spanish flu uh, in 1918, <laughs> what, what was the industry doing exactly. then? Yeah, the Spanish flu. Yeah, a lot of alternative resources then. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's interesting. I've actually been, well, you guys mentioned it, I've been in the industry since 1989. And uh, certainly seen a lot of changes, you know, back in 89, early 90s, we were just trying to convince people to do background checks. You know, they all felt that, oh, hey, I know my employees, I interviewed them, I, I understand them, you know, and it was a, a very long, laborious process. You know, we had people out doing verifications door to door, doing references door to door uh, and having court runners and um, exchanging information via mail or facts that would fade over time or, you know, rolly fax paper and things like that. And then certainly getting through 9-11 um, and, and the issues there, you know, that really is where I think our industry really began to innovate and look at technology and ways that we can exchange data securely. So I've seen a lot of changes uh, over the years, but I think this time around, we have better resources, better technology, better partnerships, you know, through the collaboration, especially through PBSA and learning how to work with each other and a lot of innovation. So it's a very different time than, than what we've seen back in the late late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And I, and I thought it was a really big deal that um, some of the, you know, most known um, FCRA attorneys in our industry um, seem to really be cheerleaders for this concept. Um, they understand that the industry has to continue to operate and that employers do. Uh, Sean, are you, what are you seeing or sensing as the, as the market appetite um, for these resources? Um, are, are people happy to have them? Are they, are some taking them? Some are not taking them. How, how are you seeing it work out? Uh, so are we talking, what are we talking about specifically when you say products, just backgrounds in general? I, 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 so I mean, uh, specifically with, with criminal records. So let's say a, a, a specific county is closed. Uh, but we've been able to identify an alternate research to be able to uh, research method uh, to be able to determine if somebody has a criminal record or not. Um, or it could be just a method that determines whether there's a clear or not. Um, have you have you looked into these and, and do you get a sense from the marketplace that they're, they have an appetite for this right now? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think our clients count on us to make those decisions for them, right? So... Um, really what, what we see in the marketplace and, and kind of our, the way we guide our way through this is, is through beta testing it, you know, against, you know, traditional sources and seeing what data comes back. Same thing SJV did. Uh, they were very proactive in getting, getting that list out. Um, it, you know, I, I think as long as the data is correct, our, our clients truthfully don't care where it, you know, it comes from as long as it, it falls within the legal ramifications uh, under the FCRA. So um, I, I would say there's not a single client not, not open to it, you know, assuming that they are viable uh, examples. And then, you know, there's, you know, I think the selection process was a beta test and then kind of getting a feel um, through various members of the, of the PBSA, you know, hey, are you guys looking at this? Are you guys thinking about doing this? What, are, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And kind of having some collaboration sessions. Um, that we, you know, may not have otherwise 
have even been able to have with us, Jay, we kind of hadn't gotten this together for us. Yeah, and and Vince, I mean, you're on the front lines with customers and and, and SJV's prospects. Uh, what are you hearing from them about their appetite for uh, alternate research uh, methods? Uh, it's definitely healthy right now. Um, I think we came out of a week or two ago with some some key ones that happened first. Um, you know, a couple states where you can get access through you know different portals. Um, and when this first all happened, the, the attitude was kind of, well, we're going to wait and see just what's going on. You know, everyone's kind of panicking from a business standpoint during the first week of this. Um, as we've released more, and certainly after that webinar last Friday, um, we've got people opting in just up and down the list in, in various areas. Um, you know, again, a lot of these sources are, you know, there are online access to records and some of it might be a little, you know, a little lacking on the the hit side. You may have to go to the court to figure out, you know, a, a very specific minor detail. But for the most part, a lot of that information is, is there and it's online. And to Sean's point, it, it usually tests out pretty good. So we provided some samples. We've provided some data, like the delta between the two. You know, here's where, where it's lacking. Here's where it's missing. But here's where it is the same. Um, and we've seen an overwhelmingly positive response of people embracing those and saying, yeah, do you have any more? Um, and we do have more. We're continuing to vet out additional ones we've identified. Um, I think there's over 150 of them that we're still looking at and vetting out and making those available every couple days via our client portal. So, yeah, the more people demand it, um, the more we test it. You know, we're not going to make that determination. To Sean's point, we'll, we'll provide the information, you know, what's there. But we're not putting ratings on it or, or telling, you know, Bob and Sean, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. We just want to give them the lowdown on what's there and, you know, have them make the best call for their customers. Yeah. You know, so, one one no, thing we brought up um, on the, uh, on the PBSA webinar last Friday was the use of, of 613 and using contemporaneous notice. So that's certainly another way uh, to get around this. So, you know, CRA has the opportunity, you know, and most of us do this is, you know, going to the original reporting court jurisdiction, being sure that we've got, accurate and, and up-to-date information. And it's what most of us would use as a resource. But if you look just for a online resource or a database resource is using contemporaneous notice and, and sending that notification that maybe something was found in that data resource, letting the candidate know and the client at the same time, and then going back and certainly verifying that information when you can or have the the consumer dispute that that information. Yeah. yeah, so that that was kind of old school, Bob, where uh, you know, for a long time, a lot of background screening companies were just doing content, contemporaneous notice and then um, and then everything seemed to shift towards um, you know, maximum possible accuracy. Now you've seen a lot of CRAs do both. So would you say that um, the guidance seems to be that you still do both? Or are, are, are you seeing CRAs maybe just consider doing contemporaneous notice? You know, I, I can't speak for other uh, CRAs. You know, uh, some of the larger CRAs are using contemporaneous notice. We don't. Uh, we don't believe in it. Um, some may be using both. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think on the back side of that, you probably get a lot of consumer disputes, a lot of false consumer disputes. Uh, you get a lot of activity uh, on the back end through customer care. So we just, we, we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I never, I never was a, a, a fan of it, um, you know, and, but I know, I, I know there is a good reason why more CRAs started doing both 
in the last several years and 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 that I've been able to get on board with. I never loved it as a primary or only source um, uh, of disputes. Um, Bob, what else are you seeing on the compliance uh, from the compliance standpoint? Are you seeing other rules either being relaxed, changed, uh, methods changing in order to to get through this? Well, the PPSA has been working directly with the um, uh, the CFPB. Uh, they've asked for uh, a request for um, interim final rule change on the the thirty day prohibition. So, if we need to um, go back and reinvestigate uh, a consumer dispute. We've got 30 days to resolve that. Um, we, we've asked for that 30 days to be relaxed. Um, I, I don't think they've relaxed that. I know we've had uh, conversations with them, and I think that they are going to take into account if we can't verify something uh, based on a dispute. So I think I think that's one thing um, that, that we'll see, and, and maybe we'll get a, a little bit of help there from the CFPB. Um, the other thing I've, I've just seen from TransUnion, so the requirement if we're pulling credit reports and things like that, we have to do uh, on-site inspections. Those are required. Um, and it's my understanding, at least TransUnion has, has relaxed that requirement uh, for now. Uh, I don't know when that's going to come back into play. So those are probably two compliance things that, that I can see that, uh, that are coming down the pike and being resolved or, or at yeah. least. Uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, every it's kind of no holds bar right now and a lot is changing, right? Does it, does it hold out? That's, that's the difference. Nobody knows what the consequence is going to be from, you know, some of the things that we're doing. And one of the questions you have coming up here is, you know, is the, is the early release program stuff, right? The prisoners that are getting out early again, you know, just trying to do everything possible as a government, as a society. So, you know, you got to react to it. I, I, you would hope that some of the things we're doing today that there isn't significant consequence and we go back to normal eventually soon, but there is no normal right now. Yeah, I would. And, and Sean, how would you respond to that? And, and, uh, and, and as a follow-up question, I know you're in a highly regulated industry um, as well. Are you seeing the regulators? Um, uh, sorry, everybody as a CRA is in a highly regulated business but you represent a clientele that is highly regulated. What are you seeing on that end? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think whether you're looking at the energy side of our business or the transportation side of the business, um, both are mission critical to the supply chain. Um, but people are absolutely getting a little more lax. Um, you know, Bob brought up the, you know, I guess the best example is, is TransUnion from a supplier side. Um, you know, they're doing webinars. You know, they're doing go-to meetings and having people walk through the, the building to, to show it. I mean, it's everyone's coming up with very inventive ways to get things done. Um, I think the companies that were ahead of the tech curve, this hasn't affected them as much. If you had a good business continuity plan in place, if you had a remote workforce already and you had a skeleton group that, that could operate and we're testing that on a quarterly basis, I think those companies, our, our clients in, in that boat, um, it, it pretty much is business as usual for, for the most part. Um, you know, whether it's on the background side or the drug testing side, you know, the collection sites, uh, you know, what we've seen on the dr drug testing collection site pieces is most of the clinics have stayed open, but they've reduced what they're willing to do, right? So physicals have kind of gone out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the, the actual contact with individuals has stopped. But um, 
we've also been utilizing telemedicine for a lot of it, um, you know, and then, you know, the actual visits that have, you know, what we've seen a lot of our clients do with emergency visits where someone gets hurt on site and they need to go see if it's going to be an OSHA sort of uh, requirement to, to mandate this. In that case, they're usually not sending them to, they're sending them straight to the hospital at this point. Um, because I think everyone isn't quite sure what everyone's procedure is at a collection site. So, you know, if someone's got a broken arm or broken leg, it's just going straight to the hospital at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right, cool. So um, Scott just brought up a, a, a very interesting point that I know I wanted to touch on today. And that is um, we are seeing uh, a significant amount of early release programs from prison right now. Um, and we are, at least here in Chicago, and I know it's going on throughout the country, we are seeing um, governments announce uh, that they have uh, or will not be prosecuting low-level criminal offenses. Um, I'll throw this out to what we start with Sean and, and then move over to Bob. What is the effect going to be on employers? What do you think the effect is going to be on CRAs? What do you make of this? You know, I, I think unfortunately for for the criminals, uh, you know, the or the the people coming out of uh, convicted uh, criminals who are who are now getting out of the prison system, um, they're they're coming into the world's worst market ever, right? Yeah. And we've got in excess of you know ten million jobs uh, that have been laid off. So it went from being difficult for them to find work to now competing against this huge group of people. Who are out of work so you know unfortunately i i see i see it being a situation where we've been trying to figure out ideas as to how to get these individuals back into the workforce but i don't see anything in the foreseeable future helping them with that um to be quite honest it just there's you know there, there's three or four things that are got to come first and, and unfortunately they're probably going to be put uh at the back of the at the back of the bus on that so uh, in regards to um you know, low level offenses not being prosecuted, you know, I mean, I think, you know, that's, I think it's all relative, right? My guess is, is um, those individuals, or at least we've, we've seen this, uh, generally, we don't get individuals with one offense, right? Usually, there's multiple offenses, oftentimes in multiple states. So uh, they, to me, it seems like they got a free pass on this one, potentially, but uh, the nature of when we we look at data, you know, when we aggregate data and review it, it's it's very rare that someone pops up with a uh, felony assault charge. It, it, you know, I think we we don't see that that often. We see multiple charges tied to individuals during an increment that spans, you know, set, you know, one to seven years at yeah, least. Hey, has 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 anybody heard like what some of the numbers are for an early release? Cause that'll be interesting to hear. Cause if they're big number, if they're small numbers, irrelevant, but if they're big numbers, I think that's where then CRAs have to embrace monitoring because if, to Sean's point, it may be a while before they get into back into the employment sector. But once they do that again is going to spark, you know, if they're, if there's a significant number, then, you're going to want to have some sort of a program in place um, being prepared and getting ready for your customers to be able to monitor these employees because you don't know. Yeah, Yeah, I would piggyback on that to say that, you know, quite a few of the states I know have been working on these, you know, at at the uh, 
AG level, working on programs to truly reenact these people into the workforce, different than what we have today. Um, you know, maybe this maybe this sparks them to kind of similar to us. I mean, a lot of us didn't have very highly mobile workforces, and, and we adapted very quickly. Maybe this is one of those cases where, to, to Scott's point, if the if the numbers are large, um, people are going to have to listen and actions are going to have to be taken. So those states that have kind of been proactive on, hey, why can't we get a certain class of individuals to work? Uh, those programs could get accelerated based on, on the situation tied to the numbers. Yeah. It, it is a tough time. Uh, you know, to Sean's point, you know, with the unemployment and now, you know, the release of, of prisoners. I, I think here in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, they released, uh, I think 150 uh, from the county jail. Now, chances are, if it's a county jail, it's probably a, uh, a low-level misdemeanor, maybe a higher-level misdemeanor. There's certainly no felony convictions. But you know, one thing that is on the side, I think, of uh, of folks that were released, it certainly banned the box, and um, that question not being on you know an application in a lot of areas, you know, a lot of states around the country will certainly help them. Um, there are a lot of state and local programs. Uh, from employers to gain uh, tax credits or uh, help for payroll um, for hiring, you know, um, folks that have had, you know, uh, past criminal offenses. So, you know, I think there there are some programs there that could help you know, employers and all also release convicts. Um, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I've read studies, you know, over the years, you know, I've looked at studies, you know, certainly depending on the type of crime you know, based on recidivism, you know, five years, seven years seems to be, you know, an area where if somebody's out, they're employed, they're not going to recidivate. Um, and, and they're loyal employees as well. I mean, these folks, you know, they want a job, they want to do well. You know, there's great integration programs in, in a lot of major cities that are helping, you know, convicts get jobs. So, you know, it's, it's good and bad, uh, but it is a tough time, you know. Background screening, you know, we boomed after 9-11. I mean, there was there was a great, um, great focus on background screening, but employment and unemployment was very high. So it took a while for that job market to come back. So that, that could be part of the issue as well with, with COVID-19. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I uh, and um you know, just following up on what you said, I've seen some of the studies as well, Bob, I, especially about, you know, those that are given chances. Um, I don't know what the actual statistics are, but it just shows that they are more loyal, longer tenured, um, uh, because once they get a job, um, they they appreciate that fact and they don't want to mess up again. So, hey, um, Nick, could I, could I ask a question to these guys? Yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm wondering their, their thought. I guess everybody... Um, on this podcast right now, what your thought is around, you know, the unemployment, um, you know, rebounding, you know, the, the, all the markets rebounding and, and, and potentially how, how fast that'll be. Because I, I think one of the consequences to this we'll see is that more people, I think finally are going to want to invest more infrastructure and in more jobs in the U S than finally sending these jobs overseas relying on countries like China to produce our medicine, things like that. I think big businesses will finally be willing to take a smaller margin to produce these things at home and, you know, create more, you know, sovereignty for, for ourselves. And so that was kind of a loaded question, but 
you know, any, any feedback you guys have on that? And, and I think, you know, we could, we could create more jobs over the next few years because of, because of this. Yeah. You know, everybody's looking at supply chain right now. I mean, where, where are the links in your supply chain? And, and certainly if it goes, you know, overseas, I think there's a lot of companies that are going to be rethinking that or looking at alternative resources. You know, it's so funny, Scott, you know, I, I don't, none of us know the timeline, but you know, the, the cases have just gone up in the last week or two and the death toll has just increased, but the stock market has done so well, Right, right. you know, last right. week it's just, you know, where are the minds of investors and, and is that giving us, you know, uh, some comfort to say, hey, the federal government has stepped in, the state government has stepped in, you know, we, we think that we've got a good idea of kind of where the numbers are going to be. And hopefully it's a, it's a great outcome for, you know, a short issue, maybe only, only 60, 90 days. So we'll see. Yeah. My, I, I think it's, I, I think you could look at this a lot of different ways. I think that um, there are a lot of people that see that we went down as quickly as we went down as a sign that it has to rebound um, and, and, and rebound rather quickly. However, I don't know anybody that is saying that we're going to go right back to where we were in terms of employment numbers. Um, I think you've got a mixed bag. So I think the pros are the arguments that you were making, Scott, and, and, and some that you were making, Bob. But I also think that what you see organizations do, and, and I, I think we come out of this in a recession. I, I think everybody probably agrees that that's the case. Organizations tend to get uh, really heavy on employees during boom times and then are very slow to replace all of those jobs until they're 100% confident that they can support them. Um, and so there might just be some jobs that aren't replaced for a while. Um, so it'll be interesting, I think, just to see how it all plays out. I don't think anybody has great answers. But don't you think, don't you think globalism will be, you know, reduced to some extent, right? And our, and our relying, we talked about the supply chain. I'm talking about relying on our own supply chain now to make the materials and the equipment and everything that we need, right? I don't know. I think that's going to be the, the consequence of this. I just think a lot more people aren't going to be willing to stomach some of the decisions that we've made over the last 10 plus years, right? Yeah, I, I, that's probably Which will true, create more jobs. But you, you, just, you, but you just, you wonder how long that sticks for. You know, after a crisis, everybody is, is adamant about changing their ways and doing what they're doing. But, and anybody that's on, jump in here if you agree or disagree with me. I think what ends up happening over time is eventually um, people are going to look to, um, you know, to cut as much cost as they possibly can. Um, so, you know, if that means going overseas, that means going overseas, I think. I just see that there's hope that, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to create a lot more jobs. I just. Yeah. Oh, I and do, I, I think, by I the think way, so. I want to believe you. I hope you're yeah, right. I just do. I mean, even, even this, the, the two, the two trillion dollar, this other stimulus package that's going to come out to redo our bridges and our roads and our infrastructure, that's going to create a, you know, a, bunch of jobs that are going to require our industry to screen and monitor those folks, right? You hope. Yep. Yeah, good point. You know, I think back in the days of the financial crisis, you know, in 2008, 2009, that's what companies did. Lean and mean. How do we operate? How do we get through this? How do we get back to profitability? And, and companies, you know, had a very different mindset at that point. 
And I think that can, that has continued on to this time and people are lean and mean, but, you know, we get a little you know, fat and happy and we start adding, you know, you know, those, those positions on that, you know, Hey, those they feel good positions. We want to do, you know, things that we've, we've never thought of before. I think the difference on this one is going to be virtual employment and remote employment. There's going to be a huge, huge increase in remote employment. Companies across our nation and across the world are realizing that a remote workforce can work and even positions that they never thought of before because it's being done. And then you start looking at you know, physical floor plan, you know, hey, I don't need all this big office space. I don't, I can cut other expenses. If we can monitor effective, you know, remote workers, then we can get the same thing and be leaner as an economy and, and, and a business community. We can yeah, I think, I think for great, great point, Bob. And I think we'll, we'll for, for some of the, obviously there's a lot of businesses that are, gonna, that are not going to come back, right? But then I also think of the businesses, for example, you know, some of the distillers, right? That they stopped um, or they, they, they opened up a new business. They started using their equipment to produce certain things that, you know, medical things. Uh, uh, and sanitizer, uh, all kinds things, of stuff. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's going to, that's, that's going to create new businesses. I mean, if, if that were me, I'd be like, man, I have a brand new business that I could start. I need to hire 50 people I think you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of that too. You're again, we're not, we shouldn't rely on these foreign countries to produce these things when we can produce them ourselves and create more jobs. I guess that's the point I was trying to make. That's a so good point. That's a good I think point. Through entrepreneurship, you definitely will see these, these guys are going to pick up the slack and the things that Bob was talking about, all the things now that we will need to work effectively from home. There's still a lot of things. You can't even get a camera I've heard now, right? If you, if you want to order, even, I went to get an Apple, uh, even Apple TV. It's like three weeks backlogged. So, Wow. There's just going to be a, de- a higher demand for certain electronics and things, which will just create, you know, more business opportunities, which hopefully create more jobs, which then hopefully create more background checks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all down, agree right? on that. Woo, think, that's what I was trying to get point, to. <laughs> the next point, there's always ingenuity and innovation post-crisis. And to Bob's point, what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a, a huge talent pool. Like Sean mentioned, you got this big talent pool out there looking for jobs. And now you've got this, um, this idea of virtual workforce, you don't have to limit your job search and your talent pool to your zip code. And a lot of companies were already aware of that. They were already doing that, at least in our industry. But I think uh, there's going to be a bigger, bigger impetus to find better people to fill those jobs anywhere they can find them. They don't have to be around the block. Hey, there's five smart people on this, this, uh, this, this podcast right now. Let's use Let's 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 use Nick Fishman's money. What business are we opening next, guys? Let's do something. Come on. <laughs> I've got some ideas, but we've got a very uh, large uh, listenership here. Uh, not quite ready to share those just yet. <laughs> well, we'll let them pay for the uncensored, unedited version where we go an extra ten minutes uh, afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, guys. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today, especially uh, Bob and Sean. Really appreciate your insights. Um, and I wish you guys and obviously everybody listening, uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and, uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to talking when things are picking back up again. Thanks, Nick. Thanks guys. Thanks for hosting this. You guys are welcome. Thanks so much. Good luck. Be safe. Be healthy. And for more information on SJV, please visit us at www.sjvdata.com. Thank you and have a great day.